heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. What do you do when the President of the United States and his team, his administration, are doing everything within their power to destroy the country you live in? the country you love. That's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the Voice of a Nation. I'm Alana Friedman sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud on the America Out Loud Network. Joe Biden was elected in a whirlwind of corruption, fraud, and illegal election activities. Maybe it isn't fair to blame all this on Sleepy Joe because he seems so bewildered so much of the time. But he wanted the title and the Oval Office. He ran for it, although much of his campaign came from the basement of his Delaware home. And now he's stuck with it. It's interesting to see how, whenever he makes an address, he stands alone. But there is always someone hovering just behind him, his wife, Dr. Jill, or his vice president, Kamala Harris. Maybe they're there to pick him up if he falls. It borders on bizarre and might even be funny in a way, if you like laughing at unfortunate people, which I don't. And the truth is that, in reality, this isn't funny at all. Biden's election was roundly supported by the Democrat Party and the liberal woke establishment. Never thought we could use those two words together, did we? Woke and establishment. But here we are in an age where in some disturbingly wide circles, the woke people are the establishment. They are a moving force in the government, in our schools, and in our communities. And they are a danger to our country and our future. They're a danger to our children and our grandchildren. I don't suppose there are any woke people listening to this station. I certainly hope not. Most woke people that I know wouldn't brook any arguments or discussion that challenge their deeply held ideas about America and American history or about America's future. But what I have observed about woke people is that there is no room with them for civil discourse. They believe, for whatever reason, that their point of view is the only valid one, and they impose their point of view on all of us and insist that we follow their lead. But their lead is what is so dangerous because they are damaging our children, teaching them a distorted history without any dependence on actual facts, teaching them, if they're white, that they are privileged and unworthy, and if they're black, or Hispanic or other children of color, that they are victims and are therefore entitled to hate white people, teaching them to deceive their parents when they are taught things that their parents don't want them to be taught, that their view of race is the only view that's acceptable, that gender is mutable and a matter of choice, even if you're five years old and not telling their parents about what they're being taught because, oh my gosh, their parents might object and stop it. 
This is a sickness that has invaded our country and, and many other countries around the world. And it has infected our education system. It will create a generation that not only feels entitled or victimized, but one that will ravage what is left of our country because when these children grow up, they will lack the skills and the knowledge to deal with life and governance effectively and positively. They will not know about our values because they will have been taught a new set of values that includes entitlement and the importance of judging people by the color of their skin and not by the content of their characters. Martin Luther King Jr. would be angry and ashamed that his message was so badly distorted and tarnished. And all this has been supported and encouraged by the Democrat left, who approve incompetent candidates to high office, and even a Supreme Court justice, Katanji Brown Jackson, who couldn't or wouldn't even define what a woman is. I'm not a biologist, she said, and now she sits on the highest court of the land. A woman who is either uneducated or unwilling to speak the truth. And it was worse than that because the reason that Judge Katanji Brown Jackson was appointed in the first place was, according to the president, going to be the first black woman in the Supreme Court. Now, what's wrong with this picture? Jackson had been a federal appellate judge for only about eight months before she was nominated to be an associate justice on the Supreme Court. And she had a judicial record that was so thin and unimpressive that it was difficult to understand why she'd been chosen at all. But she fit the profile that Biden had announced. She is a black woman. And it appears that she pleased the largest number of interest groups. And while she had the minimum qualifications, she also had a record that was so short that it would be difficult for the Republicans to derail her nomination. The fact that she became a joke to so many on the right because she refused to answer a question during her Senate hearing that would explain what a definition of a woman is. She, a woman, hoping for an appointment to the highest court in the land that would be hearing a case on abortion relating to the review of Roe versus Wade, but she could not or would not say what her definition of a woman would be. How could she possibly give any kind of an opinion on a case relating to abortion? She looked incompetent, and she will no doubt be the most inept and unqualified justice on our nation's Supreme Court, maybe in history. And this is an appointment for life. It is a shame for the Supreme Court and just one more black mark on Joe Biden's report card. And this isn't the only questionable appointment by Joe Biden since he's been in office. According to the Washington Post and the Partnership for Public Service, Biden has put 387 nominees forward who have already been confirmed by the United States Senate. Two others have been announced. 137 are still being considered by the Senate, and 101 are open positions that, so far, have no nominees. Among those appointments are several leftovers from the Obama presidency, like Susan Rice, who distinguished herself by lying 
on several Sunday morning national television interviews about the Benghazi debacle in which our ambassador to Libya and three brave soldiers died because of Obama administration bungling and complete disregard for their known security issues. And what about Gina McCarthy, who is now the first White House National Climate Advisor? And before that, she was 13th Administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency under Obama. And then there is Jake Sullivan, who now serves as the United States National Security Advisor to President Joe Biden. He was once a deputy assistant to President Barack Obama and a national security advisor to Vice President Joe Biden. Another key leftover is John Kerry, who was Secretary of State under Obama and became a self-appointed, unofficial negotiator with Iran when Donald Trump was president. Now, this is a crime, by the way, that is punishable under the Logan Act that cites unauthorized negotiations by an American citizen with foreign governments which have a dispute with the United States. But Kerry continued his negotiations with Iran throughout the Trump presidency, and instead of punishment, Kerry now serves President Biden as the first United States special presidential envoy for climate. So he jets around the world in his private jet, all the while complaining about the carbon emissions that are produced by the rest of us. His private plane coughs up about 30 times the amount of carbon emitted by a typical passenger vehicle per year. That's according to Fox News, which reviewed flight data and used Paramount Business Jet's emissions calculator. They found that during the first half of 2021, Kerry's private jet took at least 20 trips, including one that was only 10 minutes long, and emitted more than 303,000 pounds of carbon. Many of these flights occurred within Massachusetts, including short flights to and from Martha's Vineyard and Boston International Airport. The Kerry family jet's carbon footprint is enormous, so Kerry makes a good poster child as a climate hypocrite. And by the way, he has plenty of company. Al Gore and Barack Obama, for example, are two of the many other climate alarmists whose climate footprints are huge, but who demand that the rest of us do as they say, not as they do. Biden also appointed people who were clearly unsuited for their new jobs, but he favored his fellow candidates when he ran for president. Pete Buttigieg, for example, was appointed Secretary of Transportation. A quick review of his bio shows that he was singularly unqualified for this position, but experience and domain knowledge wasn't really a qualification that Biden cared about. He was repaying Buttigieg politically for his endorsement and made him the first LGBTQ plus member of the cabinet in history to be confirmed by the Senate. Just like his appointment of Judge Brown, experience mattered far less than race, gender, and sexual orientation and diversity. So when the national transportation nightmare occurred, with hundreds of cargo ships afloat in the harbor, unable to unload their cargo, when the price of gas 
skyrocketed throughout the country when the price of diesel made it difficult for independent truckers to haul their loads across country, when the supply chain crisis hit a peak and kept rising, where was Buttigieg? Well, he was at home on a two-month paternity leave with his husband helping him to take care of their two newborn babies. Where did they come from? Who was minding the store? Who was taking charge to stem the tide of the crisis? Buttigieg was a national disgrace. While the shelves of the stores became empty and the baby formula crisis began to loom large because of the broken supply chain, over which Buttigieg was supposed to be the management and somehow making things better, he was keeping young mothers from feeding their newborn child by taking care of his own children and ignoring theirs. I'll bet Buttigieg and his husband had no trouble getting baby formula. And by the way, the shelves of the food bank at the border, they were well stocked with formula. It was the American people, the citizens, who had real traumatic difficulty finding ways to feed their babies. So the list of questionable Biden appointments goes on and on. It's as though while the United States, which has a population of more than 330 million people and clearly has among such a large population, many people who could qualify, really qualify for these positions and brings fresh new perspective to their jobs, Biden is too lazy or too stuck in his old ways or too mentally frail to do anything but appoint the same old retreads and incompetence for all the wrong reasons. Whatever the reason, America is in deep trouble because the people who are supposed to be running the country in Washington are old, selfish, corrupt, and incompetent when it comes to living up to the values of the Constitution they swore to uphold. So now we are in the grips of people who believe that the laws of this nation, which they are supposed to protect and guide them, are really the laws that they in the rarefied air of their wealth and positions, they can ignore, but we have to follow, or else. Which brings me to another area of our economy that the Biden administration has destroyed, energy. Of course we know all about the rising gas and diesel prices. We pay it at the pump every time we gas up. But now, what used to cost $2 a gallon now costs nearly five, and in at least one station in California, the price is approaching $10, and that is for gasoline. The price for diesel is much higher. So here's what Biden suggests, buy electric cars. But how does the electric car get its power? Well, you plug it into the wall, but it's fueled by the grid. And how is the grid fueled? Well, mostly by coal. Coal. That's what Biden's trying to get rid of. But wait, there's more. This summer, when the sun is high and the air conditioners are running all the time, the energy industry is telling us that we're going to have brownouts, not only in California, which has always had them, but in Texas, Michigan, Missouri, and Illinois, and much or most of the Midwest. That's with most of us filling up our gas tanks with gasoline. 
Imagine if we all had electric cars and every night when we came back from work or wherever we spent the day, we plug in our cars. Our power infrastructure would collapse from the load. Instead of brownouts, we would be in a state of perpetual blackouts. Nobody really thought this through, but we may be stuck with a technology that has no backbone. So even if you can afford one, you might want to think twice before you buy that new Tesla. Just saying. So this is the world of the Joe Biden administration, and there is no plan to end it anytime soon. Now, after the break, we are going to talk about another Joe Biden gift to America, unemployment. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the unemployment rate in May this year was 3.6%. It may sound good, but it's only part of the picture, and the picture isn't pretty. And there's one more thing. How are we going to get out of this mess? We're going to talk about that too. And I have some pretty interesting ideas that I want to share with you over the rest of the show. So we're going to take a break, but I'll be right back. I'm Alana Friedman, sitting in for your favorite host, Malcolm Out Loud, and you're listening to the Voice of a Nation on the America Out Loud Network. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Voice of a Nation. I'm Alana Friedman, sitting in today for Malcolm Out Loud. Before the break, we were talking about Joe Biden's appointments to high positions of inappropriate and incapable people and the damage that some of those appointments have already done to this country. And I want to make a point here before I go on. I'm really tired of people laughing at Biden's frailness, his faux pas, his short work days and his long weekends, and his very obvious support system. Because Joe Biden and his team, his administration, have done so much damage, real damage to this country, in some cases irreparable damage, in such a very short period of time. And if we don't wake up and smell the coffee, as they say, right now, we may be unable to save the America that we love. The greatest damage that he has done, in my opinion, the one that is the most irreparable, I think, is his opening up of our southern border to millions of illegal immigrants. Aside from the sheer number of people that this represents, it also represents a huge spike in illicit drugs, and the human trafficking toll is enormous. Just to speak of drugs, for example, according to a report in the Washington Examiner, during the period between October 2020 and September 2021, Customs and Border Protection officials seized 11,200 pounds of fentanyl. Think about that for a moment. 11,200 pounds. That's enough to kill just about everybody in America. The thing about fentanyl is that although it makes up less than 2% of the drugs that have been seized by Border Patrol agents, it is very addictive and more expensive per gram than any other drug, and so it is a drug of choice for smuggling across our border. The drug lords continue to send it, even though it can easily kill their customers. And there has been a rise in fentanyl deaths since January 20th, 2021. 
The National Center for Health Statistics reports that more than 96,000 people died from drug overdoses last year. That's a 30% rise from the year before. Joe Biden's open border policy is literally killing us. And there are a lot of other reasons why the open border policy is hurting us. Plane loads of illegal immigrants are being flown at taxpayer expense to small airports outside of some of America's largest cities. Information about these flights are not available to the public, but we do know that from these airports, these immigrants are transported by bus to undisclosed locations. These transports are a joint operation between the Department of Defense and the Department of Human Services. Although a spokesman from the DOD was quoting as saying this, quote, the only support DOD is providing with respect to the unaccompanied minors is land and facilities for HHH, which is the Health and Human Services, to temporarily house them, unquote. Well, that's a lot. And here's another interesting fact. According to government records, the overwhelming majority of these illegal immigrants, or should we just call them invaders, are adolescents, 15 to 17 years old. The government calls these teens unaccompanied alien children, children, and more than 65% of them are male. And they're being transported at taxpayer expense to places like New York City, Miami, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, and Dallas, Texas, to mention just a few. According to Judicial Watch, and I quote, most of the youths are from Guatemala and Honduras, and 68% are male, which has tremendously boosted gang recruitment in this country. Federal authorities have for years confirmed that the nation's most violent street gangs, including Mara Salvatrucha, which is MS-13, they recruit new members at U.S. shelters housing unaccompanied alien children, so-called. So while we're being told that this is really a humanitarian effort on the part of Joe Biden Democrats, it is really a very frightening importation of potential criminals and terrorists. There is a theory that is gaining a lot of traction these days that the method behind this madness is the plan of socialists, anarchists, and the New World Order elite to destabilize America, to create chaos out of order, and turn America into a brave new world. But that is a discussion for another program, and we will get to that one of these days. Let's move on to another one of Joe Biden's devastating blows on the American people. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the unemployment rate in May this year was 3.6%. That may sound good, but it's only a part of the picture. Because in April 2020, just three months after Joe Biden became president, more than 20 million jobs were lost. So when we look at the jobs report since then, the increments in which job growth has taken place are in the hundreds of thousands, a tiny drop of the 20 million jobs that were lost. 
And last month, in May 2022, only 390,000 new jobs were added. That doesn't begin to make up for the jobs that were lost in the months following the start of Joe Biden's arrival in the White House. To put it simply, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the unemployment rate in April 2020 skyrocketed to 14.7% in only one month. This is not surprising since Biden's executive order on day one that stopped the XL pipeline cost more than 11,000 direct jobs that the pipeline construction was to have created and an estimated 60,000 indirect jobs in secondary related industries. And when he killed the completion of the border wall on our southern border, he said, quote, it shall be the policy of my administration that no more taxpayer dollars will be diverted to construct a border wall, unquote. And he did it by rescinding the national emergency declaration that former President Donald Trump had used to finance the wall from the Defense Department budget. This cancellation cost thousands of jobs in construction, engineering, and indirectly in supporting industries. And yet Biden continues to brag about all the jobs that he has created. That's just more of the fantasy that the Biden administration is becoming known for. There's a lot more that Biden and his cronies have done to undermine the values and the international presence that this country has always enjoyed. His anemic foreign policy has encouraged Russia and China to further their aggressive plans, and Russia has already attacked Ukraine with such vengeance and brutality that entire cities have been demolished and thousands of innocent civilians have been massacred in Moscow's indiscriminate bombing that targeted residential neighborhoods and schools and hospitals, no less than military installations, and in a massive and total disregard for the Geneva Conventions and in contravention of international law. At the same time, China has been watching and making its own plans to attack Taiwan and bring that democracy into the communist fold by force. And here in our own country, Americans are facing one of the deepest economic crises in generations. Yet on June 10th, the president said this. He said, quote, Today, thanks to the economic plan and the vaccination plan that the Biden administration put in action, America has achieved the most robust recovery it has seen in modern history. Just two years removed from the greatest economic crisis since the Great Depression, the job market is the strongest it has been since just after World War II, unquote. Is he kidding he boasted that he had created 8.87 million new jobs, but when you compare that to the 20 million jobs that were lost within the first three months after he took office, he is still deep in the minus column. Not only are we not in an economic recovery, as he has told us, we are rapidly heading into a recession that is going to affect every American where it hurts the most. Because when those lost jobs don't come back, when companies begin to leave the states and move their manufacturing back to Mexico and Ireland and Bangladesh, then the jobs will soon disappear with them. When parents have to skip meals so that their children can eat, when the cost of a ride to work is greater than the paycheck can afford, and the price of gas makes commuting impossible, 
That is what we have to look forward to under the Biden's so-called recovery plan. His recovery plan is going to lead us right into a recession. And it's going to hurt. Now, I told you at the beginning of the show that I would talk a little bit about what we can do that might change the direction of where our country is going. The Biden administration has done so much damage to America that it sometimes seems difficult to imagine how we can possibly turn it around. What about the millions of illegal immigrants who have already invaded our country? How can we turn our economy that was booming during the Trump administration and is now heading toward a deep recession? How can we turn it around? And how can we recover from the demonic spending spree that the Democrats have been on that have raised our national debt to $30.396 trillion and counting? Our currency is no longer tied to anything but the printing presses. It used to be tied to gold, but President Nixon ended that in 1971. How do we deal with that? And how do we recover from the education crisis, where our five-year-old children are taught that they can change their gender if they want, or where they are taken to drag shows as part of their school activities? Well, my friends, the task in front of us is enormous, and it all rests on what happens in November. If we allow the Democrats to maintain control of Congress, if we don't fight back against the educational system that glorifies LGBTQ plus whatever activism and the sexualization of our kindergartners, if we don't demand that schools teach real accurate history and literature and grammar for heaven's sakes, if we don't fight back against a growing culture that treats our children as either privileged or victims, if we don't put law enforcement back into the role of actually enforcing the law, if we don't, for example, repeal no bail sentencing that throws violent criminals back on the street, if we don't close our borders and deport illegal immigrants who break the law, if we don't do all these things and more, then our country, the country that we love, will be lost because we cannot afford another two years of Joe Biden Democrats running our government. If we don't fight back, it will all be lost and we will be heading not just into a recession, but into the nightmare of socialism and the end of America as we know it. So now is the time to fight back. There are seven months before the midterm elections and the turnout for Republicans, conservatives, and anyone else who recognizes the danger we're in has to be strong and it has to make a difference. It's time to be active, to support conservative candidates to repopulate the halls of Congress with common sense, with congressmen and women for whom love of country is more important than self-aggrandizement and personal wealth. Give these candidates as much support as you can, as if your life depends on it.
because to be perfectly frank, if you love this country and want America to go back to being the America we love and respect, it does. And that also means that we need to protect our election process so that when election day comes around on November 8th, we don't have a repeat performance of the fraud and deception by Democrat Party activists that we saw in 2020. Like the fraudulent ballots, the ballot harvesting, the fight against illegal ballots in unattended drop boxes, the rigged election machines that turn Republican votes into Democrat votes. We must demand accountability, visibility, and not accept any of the dirty tricks that made so much of that election unacceptable. We need poll watchers, poll watchers who are not afraid to stand their ground and not allow anybody to tell them they can't be there to watch the polls. That's their job. And the ballot counting after the polls close. This is going to be a difficult election as well as an important one because so much has been done in the past election that was suspect. The Democrats are going to be on the defensive and the Republicans, I hope, will be on the offensive to make sure that what happened in 2020 doesn't happen again in 2022. This is partly how we save America, by making sure that our election process is honest and fair. If all goes well, it looks as though there is going to be a major turnover in Congress. It seems as though the American people are fed up, not just Republicans, not just conservatives, but also Democrats who are disaffected by what they have seen, and independents who have given up hope that the Democrats are going to be able to preserve America as we know it. And if that happens, there will be a tidal wave that no Democrat corruption can prevent, and we will have a new Congress that will, I hope, begin to make the changes that are necessary to bring honor and honesty and the values that made America great back to Washington. Now, after the break, I want to introduce you to a candidate whom I support, a conservative Republican, a veteran, a man who is exactly the kind of candidate who can make a difference in Washington. His name is Zach Nunn. He is a conservative Republican from the state of Iowa, and he's running against a Nancy Pelosi Democrat. I've invited him on the show so that you can meet him and hear what he has to say firsthand. So we're going to take a short break now, but we'll be back in a few minutes and have a conversation with State Senator Zach Nunn, Republican candidate for U.S. Congress in the 3rd District of Iowa. I'm Alana Friedman, and you're listening to The Voice of a Nation. Listen to Malcolm, The Voice of a Nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait, we wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. 
So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. That's X-L-E-A-R.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best, freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Welcome back to The Voice of a Nation. I'm Alana Friedman sitting in today for Malcolm Out Loud. My guest today is Iowa State Senator and candidate for U.S. Congress from Iowa's 3rd District, Zach Nunn. And before we begin, a few words about Zach. Zach is a decorated combat aviator in the U.S. Air Force. He deployed three times to the Middle East after 9-11 and flew over 700 combat hours. Zach served on the White House National Security Council, combating cyber attacks from Iran and Russia, and later commanded expeditionary forces under the Trump administration. After the Afghanistan debacle in August 2021, Zach led rescue missions for our Afghan allies away from the Taliban-controlled country. Zach still serves as a lieutenant colonel in the Iowa National Guard and has served in both the Iowa House of Representatives and the Iowa Senate. 
And now, after having won the primary election on June 7th, he is the Republican candidate for U.S. Congress from Iowa's 3rd District. Zach, welcome to the show. You just won a great victory in the Iowa primaries that took with 65.9% of the vote at last count. You had a great campaign, and that must have felt wonderful. Hey, Alana, thank you so much, first off, for having us on here and paying attention to what's going on uh, nationwide here. The uh, primary election, certainly, uh, we feel honored by. It's really a reflection of Iowans' turnout and the hard work that they have done to say they'd like to see a change in Washington, D.C. It was a multi-way primary, but um, walking out with, you know, uh, over 66% and uh, in a race which is roughly a blue-red district right down the middle, to have that many Republicans show up was humbling. The turnout was amazing. I think that this will be a landmark in uh, Iowa primary elections. Uh, you did a fantastic campaign, and it showed. Well, hey, thank you. Yeah, and, and I, a lot of credit here really goes to uh, our team of volunteers who went out. You know, we were the only candidate that spent time in the new third district has 21 counties. We got certified in every county. And I'm not just saying the only candidate is a Republican, but also the Democrat incumbent didn't get out and spend that much time. In fact, I, I believe she only got on the ballot by about 10 signatures. So that becomes wow. uh, a question of itself as to what kind of an organization do you have at the grassroots level? but also what type of issues are impacting a large variety of Iowans, Americans, uh, that really can cause to turn out in large numbers and say, hey, we're paying attention, we want to change. You are going to be facing now a very tough campaign against Sidney Axney. Can you tell us a little bit about how you're viewing this campaign over the next few months? And if you are, are running into some, some nasty politics, how do you think you're going to handle it in a very, in a well, very general from, way? Yeah, from day one, we looked at this race as not a competition amongst other conservatives because we had good people on the Republican side running. We focused entirely on what Cindy Axney has failed to do for this district and running against her record. And I think that served us well. So we are well positioned going into November 8th because we prepped ourselves to say, what can we do here in Iowa that could serve as a good model for the rest of the country? And Alana, I want to highlight, you know, here in Iowa, we were one of the first states to open back up. We said no to overreaching government mandates that shut down schools and force kids to be masked for going on years. Here we said, uh, you know, rural Iowa is different than downtown New York City, and we should have our local elected officials of the school board making that decision. We were the first state to get kids back into the classroom learning in an environment that worked for them. We cut taxes in our state and when I was in the state Senate here this uh, year. Two of the largest tax cuts in the state history, billions of dollars back to Iowans, and that grew our economy at the Main Street level. People invested in their farms and their families. Uh, in their small business. But in Washington, D.C., they took a very different approach towards it. They said, we're going to overspend trillions of dollars, go into debt, and we're only going to spend it on government infrastructure or government boondoggle projects that ended up driving up not just the debt, but the highest inflation in my lifetime. And it's, it's seen by every American each time they fill up their car at the pump. So we have, I think, a very good track record of succeeding, whereas... Um, 
Cindy Axney, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden also have a track record, but one of failure and forced errors that have had a hardship on Americans across the country. Your, your comments are very timely because the rest of my show is all about what has gone wrong in America since Biden became president. And so what you're saying now, it really rings toward what the message of this entire show has been. I wonder now if you could talk a little bit about how your campaign is going to be unique and different and how you're going to get your message across to those people who so far maybe maybe don't know who you are or don't know very much about you and are going to be wanting to know how to vote. Now, you mentioned that we had a big turnout and that was great. Do you see that there's going to be this much enthusiasm for the general election? Well, I think you're absolutely right. There's going to be massive enthusiasm, or I should say uh, voter frustration that's going to be shown at the polls this November. You know, we are going to run a general election race that still has that grit of a grassroots campaign, but also the effectiveness of a large-scale operation, because I think you need both in this. That means for us, getting out to every rural community in the third district. It's important for us to do well, not just in um, my home county, which is Polk County, where Des Moines is the largest county in the district, roughly half the population's there. And we've had a um, consistent record of winning as a Republican in a blue lean seat. But it's folks who are tired of what the Democratic Party is shilling to them, saying, hey, defund the police is the best way to deal with crime. Well, we know that's not true. It's looking at urban issues that are important to our first-generation families, the same ones that we helped rescue from Afghanistan, who were American citizens left behind by the Biden administration, or people who came here the right way uh, through the process versus what the Democrats are telling us, let everybody into the southern border and don't check their paperwork. We hope they vote Democrat going forward. That's one side of it. The other side is get out to rural Iowa, which has been ignored by the Democratic Party, not just in Iowa, but nationwide. You know, my opponent has only ever won one county out of the 21 counties in the third district. We are committed to being able to win up and down the board in every county. And I've actually challenged my opponent to say, come out and let's do debates in rural Iowa and talk about issues that are important to farmers, to families that might have to drive an hour and are trying to fill up their tank just to get to work. And small businesses that are seeing onerous federal regulation shut down main streets across Iowa. That's how we win, but most importantly, that's how we serve the entire district. And, and that's, a, that's a very good message to get across. It's one that you don't hear very often. It's refreshing, and it's also very practical. It makes a lot of sense. On some of the issues that you're going to be facing, you've already talked a little bit about the high prices of gas, and of course, we all have to deal with inflation that's out of sight. What about Ukraine, for example? What about our, our foreign policies relating to Russia and China. So this is a frightening situation. You know, 16 months ago, they say politics is short on the memory, but I think we all remember 16 months ago when the Trump administration was at the helm. We had an energy independence policy that worked for our country, and we were not importing uh, oil from an autocrat like Vladimir Putin or dirty oil from Venezuela or being dependent on the, the Middle East to offer us uh, favorable oil prices. We could do it right here. 16 months ago, the U.S. foreign policy was, you know what, our president is going to stand up to China, to Russia, to Tehran, and Vladimir Putin 
didn't invade any part of Ukraine further in his four years there. It's telling when the Biden administration says three times for the Russian invasion, the Russians are going to invade and they're probably going to take large parts of Ukraine and there's very little we can do to stop them. If you're in Moscow listening to that, that's pretty much as green a light as you can get to uh, launch an invasion. And the only thing that stopped it was the steely resolve of the Ukrainian people and the back channel support that folks who support democracy were able to get to Ukraine to slow down the Russians and give them a bloody nose. So on that level, I stand firmly with Ukraine on this, with the people of Ukraine. I was there as an election monitor back in 2019. This is a country which has the opportunity to become aligned with Western democracies, not fall back into an age of enslavement under Russia. But it also means we don't just put U.S. troops on the ground, as some Democrats have called for, or, again, spend billions of dollars unregulated and unoverseen to a country that needs help now, not five years from now. You know, we've got weapons systems in NATO countries like Poland, Romania, and Bulgaria that can give surface-to-air missiles and MiG-29s that the Ukrainians know how to fly to protect population centers that are just being uh, mercilessly attacked by, by the Russians and provide them the tools to protect themselves, not pay for them um, to try and buy other countries' weapon systems going forward. So I would handle it very differently, but I would stand firmly with Ukraine, and, and a lot of here's why. If you don't stand for Ukraine, you empower Russia, and that empowers China, and it empowers Iran. And that's a threat not to our, only to our allies in Taiwan and Israel, but it becomes a threat to every American farmer who can't get the grain that they need or the um, fertilizer that's required and drives up prices for the supply chain across the board. Exactly. And one of the things that nobody really talks about is that Ukraine is one of the top three suppliers of grain in the world. And countries in the Middle East and North Africa are very dependent on this supply to feed their populations. And now that the war has disrupted this supply, food prices that had already risen because of the COVID pandemic have now skyrocketed because of the war in Ukraine. In fact, according to the World Bank, there has been a 37% rise in the cost of foods in general, but the price of wheat has gone up 80%. That's huge. Well, and this becomes the supply chain issue here in the United States as well. I mean, the, the short term, it might be good for the wheat farmer here in Kansas, but the long term is the price of wheat across the world goes up, and that becomes harder for every family that wants to buy a loaf of bread whether you are in Africa or Alabama, because now wheat prices have gone through the roof, just like we've seen with oil prices. So overall, this ends up being a very bad thing for the food supply chain globally. Tell me, Zach, do you have any solutions that you have thought of to, to change the direction of the supply chain crisis? Energy independence becomes the immediate one. We need to be able to fuel the trucks, fuel the trains, and get America going again. The second aspect becomes workforce development. When we have truck drivers who work all year round to be able to deliver things, but then the this administration is talking about having those same truck drivers pay higher taxes so that college professors can get their college loans paid back, we have emphasized the wrong thing here. We're not supporting a get-it-done working class who is actually helping drive America. 
we are paying off political favors to folks who want free college loans repaid, oftentimes years after it's already happened, who are already in the six-figure bracket. This is the wrong approach. I think everybody realizes this is common sense. Let's be able to uh, get the folks who need to back to work. Let's get the supply chain fixed. And let's fix the trade imbalance so that we don't have 80% of our trade coming from out of America when we can produce those things domestically in America. Including energy. Absolutely right. Because before Biden came into office, we were energy independent. And now we are facing skyrocketing gas and diesel prices. Zach, I think that these midterm elections have taught us a few things. And one of the most important lessons is that People really care about what is happening to this country, and they want to see change. I would just say, heading into this midterm election, not only is it a referendum on the president, but it's more than just winning to win in November and getting in on our team a Republican majority. It is governing in a way that we actually provide accomplishment for the American people. What I do not want is a Republican win, and we act the way Paul Ryan did, where we had uh, all, all the majority and nothing got accomplished. That was terrible. We had a Republican president in the White House, we had a Republican Senate, and we had a Republican Congress that did nothing to support the Republican agenda, and we ended up at the end of the first two years with the most important parts of the Republican agenda left undone. We have an obligation to deliver. You know, I, we've got a, tr- a strong track record here in Iowa when I was uh, the majority whip in the House and serving as the chairman in the Senate of not only saying what we're going to do, but doing what we're going to do. I'm a military guy. I'm a man of action. I want to see things get accomplished in Washington. So we are working hard to win for Iowa. We're working hard to get a majority for America. We want to be able to deliver here with a win in November for every Iowan, but more importantly, we want to deliver a win for America with a majority. And with a majority, we want to be able to deliver an agenda that works for every American, regardless of party, because we have been too long in this dead position of nothing getting done in Washington, D.C., and that is a disservice to our country and one of the largest national security threats we face. With Cindy Axney in Congress... She was essentially a rubber stamp for Nancy Pelosi. That's what she has been. That's what she is. Tell me, Zach, do you think with your leadership skills that you can get to Congress and really turn that around? You know, I love the Ronald Reagan quote. He says, if you agree with me 80% of the time, we can get some good work done. If you agree with me 100% of the time, you should get your head checked because I don't even agree with me 100% of the time. (laughs) You know, this is one of those situations where Cindy Axney, the current congresswoman, who is one of the most vulnerable in the country, has voted with Nancy Pelosi 100% of the time, never questioning it. And Iowa, like every state, is not always going to be aligned with where D.C. wants to go. We have an obligation to push back. You know, as a state legislator, I pushed back hard on Republican leadership when they talked about raising the fuel tax. I, I pushed back so hard they kicked me off the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, But I didn't let up the fight because it was the wrong move for my constituents. So going to Washington, D.C., I think we need to keep in mind here that um, bigger than Democratic or Republican parties is who are we serving? And in my book, it's serve God in your conscience, serve your community and your constituents and fight like hell for both. So we're going to be committed to that going forward. There will be a night and day difference on 
what Cindy Axney is looking to serve, and uh, her track record alone proves that. Zach, it has been wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking your time at the beginning of what's going to be a very busy campaign. Thank per- you so much, Alana. Perfect. I appreciate the time. It's been a great show, and thank you, Zach. Wish you great success in this very important campaign. Now, if you want to know more about Zach Nunn, go to his website, zachnunn.com. That's Z-A-C-H-N-U-N-N. And if you like what you see, give him your support. Every vote, every dollar counts. And that brings us to the end of this hour. I'm Alana Friedman, sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud, and you've been listening to The Voice of a Nation on the America Out Loud Network.